Welcome to the show, Gold Squadron Gays. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays talk about and review their favorite Star Wars content while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. I'm your other host, Charles Rogers, and RIP to our sound balancing, I guess, for whatever the fuck that was at the beginning. I mean, you're just creating problems for yourself, Bradley. You understand this. I am a complicated person. (laughs) Clearly, we have three years of podcast episodes demonstrating what a complicated person you are. Yeah, for those of you who are are not aware of it, it gets boring to hear the same intro over and over and over again. So Bradley, like, tries to get me to corpse every week and tries to have whatever intro I had in the back of my head, uh, which this week something was vaguely forming about Thanatos from the Hades game, to just leak completely out my ears and disappear. This week he succeeded. Well done, Bradley, you fucker. All right, well, we don't we don't have anything to get started with. As of recording this, we haven't seen the Bad Batch yet. We're four days out. We're about oh, to record right. our episode. Yeah, this will come out after that's already This will so. come out after that. Yes, but we're so we also understand we do... saw it. We, we, we've watched it. We know it exists. Uh, we're clearly we're so shocked and awed by that premiere. We're like, whoa, that was crazy. Some of the best Star Wars I've ever seen in my life. I can't believe Yoda showed up. Uh, oh my god, with, man! With three was... nameless uh, and rescued Omega from the the prison on Mountain. I don't fucking know, man. I I haven't seen the episode. Watch Yoda show up in the Bad Batch now. I was gonna say, what are we predicting? Uh, oh wait, we'll save it for episode zero that you won't listen. You'll be able to listen to for a, a couple weeks. Yeah, it'll be by my count about two months after we record our episode zero that people are gonna actually hear our episode zero. I like it. So now we're gonna have to do some bat shit crazy theories that we're gonna have to just go completely <laughs> completely <laughs> off in the left field which because won't now be that we hard. understand now we understand the power that we wield that's right exactly but i'm not predicting shit this episode we're moving on to the actual meat of the episode bradley on our extended journey through star wars forever especially me i just started reading uh the dawn of the jedi comics because they're all in marvel unlimited now so i'm about to be even worse as a person on our continuing journey through star wars bradley where are we what are we doing Uh, this week we're covering ahsoka episode eight part eight the jedi the witch and the warlord where the heroes race to prevent grand admiral thrawn's escape (sighs) charles what's one thing you liked about this episode and one thing you did not i hate that title really i hate it I hate, hate, hate it. Look, this is, look, so The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was a good title for that book and then later that movie, right? The the X, Y, and the Z. And I know this is going to be hypocritical because one of my very good friends wrote a book with the title that follows this structure. I have always hated, he actually wrote two, I have always hated the X, Y, and Z title naming convention. I don't know why, it just, hmm. Hmm. It it causes something primal in my brain to snap. I don't know what it is. It's like with flamethrowers. I can't explain why it makes me insane. It's just X, Y, and Z titles. I can't do it. I can't do it. I don't like it at all. I can't explain it. I just hate it. That's the thing I'm going to go with up front that I disliked about the episode. Okay. Uh, there is a thing that really bothered me on the rewatch, but we'll kind of get to it in the body of the episode. One thing that I really liked about the episode, I liked how surprising the episode was. 
I genuinely, the first time I watched it, did not call some of these. There were some things that I was like, yeah, obviously we're going to do that. But then there's some things that happen and I'm like, oh, but looking back on it and looking back at the whole arc of the show, like it could not have gone any other way. Right. Like some of the choices the characters make in this, it could not have gone any other way. Uh, And I really did like how it felt surprising, but it didn't feel like it was unearned. What about you, Bradley? One thing you liked and one thing you did not. Um, one thing I liked about this episode was the title. Um, I really love uh, the X, the Y, and the Z titles. I think they're really... I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. I'm just messing with you. Uh, actually, funny enough, I actually did like the title. I just finished re-watching those movies because uh, I went back and re-watched all of them because uh, my roommate had never seen them before. And so... Or he didn't... Oh, the Three Chronicles of Narnia movies? Yeah. And I just... You know, I just wanted to watch them just like for nostalgic reasons and I watched it and then I looked up like the books like I was like, is this any really that different than the movies, you know, And I was watching looking in the books and I was like, I was like, wait, how does this last book end? And I reread it and I was like, oh, the lion kills everybody. Got it understood he says no you all deserve death got it okay that's literally the book because he's jesus and he can do whatever he wants and it the was ending, like what the heck <laughs> the ending of the last battle i think about the ending of the last battle probably to this day <laughs> like the way that those books the way that c.s lewis decided to end these books because so much of lewis is so fascinating to me i love reading c.s lewis it's, it's really he's so fascinating to me because he's a later convert to Christianity. And so like all of his work is him trying to reconcile all the parts of his faith he doesn't like or doesn't agree with. Like it's really, it's really fascinating. But also the ending of the last battle is fucking insane. I can't wait to get like a TV show version of this. I'm waiting for, I, I heard a rumor that someone was making one and I am very excited to see if that it comes to fruition and like what they do with it because I if you don't make it like HBO level batshit then it's it's gonna the be books are thing. that's the crazy yeah. part the books so, are that kind of level of batshit and so like I'm it's all that. like it's all like for kids batshit but it's batshit of course like I'm thinking about all the stuff that happened I'm thinking about the horse and his boy like oh they're that's gonna need my, to that was rewrite. my favorite book when I was a kid like that was like out of all of them I love that one the most <laughs> that book is insane <laughs> it's that the book weirdest is insane yeah. Lewis, what were you? We have digressed too much. Sorry, we digress. Well, in a way, it's a digression, but it's also relevant because it it's the title of the episode so it's fine but okay we're done talking about that um we sorry, are done talking about c.s lewis until we did our uh until we eventually do our chronicles of narnia podcast there you go um now the thing i did not like about this episode and i said it last week because i didn't like it really that much about last week's episode i did not like the just fuckery around shin and balin storylines of just randomly shoehorning them into the very end of the episode being like oh yeah that's right i forgot we have these two random characters who have been here all season and they're kind of important um let me just show you where they're at at the very 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 end of the episode and they explain nothing about what they're doing so i hated that uh that's my biggest gripe with the episode is just fucking off balin and shin when those characters deserve so much more of an ending to me in this season i just I, I can't I can't I like I don't I feel like it was just unearned and I hated it yeah we'll we'll get to that when we get to the ending yeah but so yeah, I have we'll thoughts okay all right Bradley you want to you want to take us I don't even think we have a single new actor in this I didn't I didn't write down any I didn't see fucking anything. fantastic let's get through this 
Section 1. At the Great Mother's Fortress, the cargo transfer has been completed. Ron orders Captain Enoch to bring the Eye of Scion in for an interlocking procedure and dispatch two TIE fighters to locate Ahsoka Tana. Meanwhile, Elspeth is rewarded by the Great Mothers with the Gift of Shadows and is given the Blade of Talzin. Title card, Part 8, The Jedi, The Witch, and The Warlord. So I was briefly distracted from the fact that the Chimera looks like it's being fingered by just how beautiful the Chimera itself is. It looks so gorgeous being fingered. <laughs> it looks so fingered with, with it's, <laughs> it looks so gorgeous with Peridia's like little fortress got its finger up in there. Oh but God. no, the shot is beautiful. Like we open on this. If you somehow haven't seen the episode, and you're listening to this. We open on this gorgeous shot of the underside of the Chimera and it's pointed down towards the camp, like down and away from the camera, reminiscent of the shot of the Imperial Star Destroyer in the very first shot of the very first movie. And you can clearly see the paint, but you can also see the back where the Pergil like crushed part of the back of the Star Destroyer. And it's been filled in with like gold scaffolding. It's gorgeous, this shot. God, the show's so fucking pretty. I like it when they, especially when they do these grand scale shots, they're always, you're always like very impressed with whatever they do. I like it a lot. So we should have mentioned it before, but it wasn't pointed out to me until recently. So Morgan and Captain Enoch walk up and I'm just inserting this note here just because Enoch's on screen. Colton over at Nerdsmith, who is our uh, Legends correspondent. They were on our Legends episodes. They were on one of our Bad Batch episodes since my fellow cast member on For Light and Dice pointed out something interesting about the name Enoch to me. The biblical which, reference or no? The biblical reference here. Oh. Okay. Enoch, one of the things that Enoch is the most famous for is being only one of eight people to enter heaven alive. Interesting. At, uh, at least according to the post-biblical Midrash, according to Wikipedia here. So within the Bible, it's only two people, Enoch and Elijah. But in the broader, I haven't done a super lot of the, research on in this. The broader, the broader there's only eight. Like, okay, got it. Like broader religious texts, there's only eight uh, and only two within the Bible. And one of them is Enoch. So this might be a clue that Enoch might actually be a living, breathing person. I, you know what? I, Other than the fact that he does talk like pretty coherently when he does have lines. And like I said last time, I feel like hiring this actor is not a mistake because he's going to show up later on. I genuinely feel like Enoch, we're going to get a, a Phasma like Last Jedi moment in the next season where his mask gets fucked up and we see his face or something along those lines, right? Like, I feel like that's just going to happen. I, don't I know agree. They've, they've put too much emphasis on this character's design and casting not to use him for something later on. Yeah, I think he might get a, a bump up in role next season. That's my hopes and dreams, but we'll see. I also would like to see, I, I mean, now that we've established all of our main villains, I would like more Great Mothers. I would like more Enoch. I basically want more of Thrawn's little cadre because we didn't get a lot of time with them in this season. Speaking of Thrawn, he has a little moment where he tells Morgan Elspeth, he's like, basically Imperial officers are stupid and dumb and overconfident. Okay. And even he kind of made that mistake. I just, I was thinking about that scene in Mando season three, you know, where they're having the Imperial meeting. You right. remember the one and they're all arguing. I'm just thinking about that scene during this speech that Thrawn gives, which is why Thrawn is so terrifying as a villain, because he's not a bumbling idiot. He not only knows what he's doing, but he has the sheer force of will and the rank to keep all of these Imperials in line. I also do want to talk about Morgan, 
Okay. Because this is where I first noted my issue with Morgan Elspeth. Ooh. And this was the big issue that I realized in this episode as I was watching it. Morgan doesn't really have a character arc in this show. She's mm. set up in this episode as a foil to Ahsoka. Or she's set up as the opponent to Ahsoka. Morgan doesn't really change over the course of this series. We meet her and she's very gung-ho to find Thrawn and she's working for Thrawn. And then she shows up and she spends two episodes getting lectured to by Thrawn about his evil plans and really doing nothing. And then in this episode, she gets basically gets the sword and is told, go fight Ahsoka, and that's it. She has these little moments, like the way that Diana does these things with her face that hint at some inner conflict, but that's all the actress. It's not there. Right, it's not the writing, yeah. And I felt like if Ahsoka is going to be a storyline about somebody coming into their faith again, Morgan's storyline should have been about somebody losing their faith or somebody who was got their faith, but it's a twisted version of it, right? So maybe she starts out doubtful, but she's following these voices. And then by the end of it, she gets basically inducted into the Night Sisters, but it's weird and uncomfortable and different than Ahsoka. I don't know. I, I felt like she never really made a choice. She never really changed as a character. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that because I'm trying to think like I'm from the be like beginning of the season to now. What is her like change? And I'm other than a physical change that we literally see when she gets the gift of shadows. I don't really think that constitutes much of a change other than like a new costume. Like it's not really like a it's like, oh, now we have to change the, the Lego minifigure because she her face is slightly different. Like that's all it to me is like a marketing thing almost like it's not like a she doesn't really do anything character wise to change i think what they should have done was when that happened it should have been either a painful or like something that was like oh shit like this is doesn't feel right like this is not good like i thought this was supposed to feel like really i was supposed to feel powerful and great and then like it needed to be her like almost being controlled by the mothers like her having no kind of sense of autonomy or something like that way she was just really being used as a tool because really the whole entire thing is she's just being used as a tool by the by thrawn and by the mother others to like get her ship there so Thrawn can get her ship like she doesn't have any sense of agency or do anything herself look how easily Thrawn discards her <laughs> right exactly later on in the episode when he's like ah uh, yeah somebody has to go stop Ahsoka Tano and like look yeah. how easily that is <laughs> right and yeah she she's still super gung-ho about this even all the way up to that moment and the moments of doubt and the moments of of having to reconcile with that that we see that's all in the actress who is doing a phenomenal job like Diana Lee and Asanto is is absolutely fucking killing this role but it's all in her face it's all in her face it's not really there anywhere else and i i wish that had hit stronger to be a counterpoint for ahsoka speaking of thrawn take note of how unhappy he looks in this scene with the ritual did you notice this it almost looked like he was like turned off by it or he was like very much like uh he, he looked at it like, like disgusted yeah what is this weird archaic like i don't like this like he was like yeah it was just odd to him he talks about like the dark magics but then when he's watching it with his eyes you can kind of see him sort of recoil a little bit yeah he's like Ugh, i can't i guess i have to use this like it's one of those <laughs> it's not a style you know he looks like just disgusted by it yeah which is really interesting that that's yeah, a choice i guess where they his... made 
people are from, you know, in his part of space, it's they don't have quote unquote magic there. They use, you know, it's just technology based, just like the regular galaxy. It's not super crazy different. And yeah, they have their Skywalkers, but that's just random force users. So that does again. And then the Skywalkers that goes away. Right. I'm not going to spoil too much of the ascendancy, but there are no adult Skywalkers. Right. Yeah. It's just an odd. Yeah. It's just odd. It's he's just not like I like how he he wants to use the magic for like to gain, you know, personal gain or whatever. But like then when confronted with the realities of it where he has to see it up close, he's like, oh, like, I don't like that. <laughs> he has a he has a sort of revulsion to it, which right. is also interesting given his experience. Because his experience with the Force or any sort of magics up to this point has been entirely, one, the Bendu fucking obliterating his stuff uh, on, what is the name of that planet? The planet that they're the, at the end of season three when right, they have right. their big battle. So it's an A, I can't remember the name of it offhand. Uh, I am sure someone is going to tag me and tell me what it was. <laughs> That's the thing Charles fucked up. <laughs> That's the thing Charles fucked right. up is he forgot what the name of the planet is. Random planet number three at the end of season three. <laughs> in Rebels season three. Oh, anyway, yeah. anyway, uh, it's that. It's Ezra Bridger and Kanan Jarrus. Right. It's Vader and it's Palpatine and Anakin Skywalker. These are the the experiences he's had. So yeah, obviously he's not going to be happy with this. Speaking of weird magic bullshit, we get the Sword of Talzin summoned out of the mist. All of a sudden. Now I had completely forgotten that this existed because <laughs> okay. I thought they were pulling a random sword out sure. to give to Deanna Leona Santo, which would be correct. If you cast her, give her a sword and let her do sword things with it. Sure. But uh, I had thought we'd never seen it before. I was wrong. We have seen it before once in the Mace Windu and Jar Jar Binks episodes in Star Wars uh, The Clone Wars in season six. So we briefly saw her fight with it. That's where this comes from. Also, I don't know why it matters that it has to be a particular sword. Couldn't it have just been like a magic sword coming out of nothing? Like, why did it have to be like the exact sword that Mother Talvin uses in Clone Wars episode? So I don't think I don't think it's the same. Yeah, if you look at the sword, it looks different. Oh, it does. It looks like a slightly different sword than the one that 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 Talzin is using in the Clone Wars. Now, is this a mythology, not a This is one of situation? those mythology, not history moments. Okay, that's what We I just was... have to accept that the it's blade the looks same. different. It looks now. different. Now, okay. it looks different now for reasons. Don't worry about it. We're just going to go with it. Uh, but it has turned up before. Got it. Which I thought was just a nod to the name Talzin. No, this physical sword has shown up. Another thing that's shown up is the Imperial Klaxon. Love it. As we're getting our sixth fucking shot of Thrawn with the TIE Fighters, TIE Fighters embarking behind it. him. Loved it. Love it. Section two. On Ahsoka's ship, hovering over the no caravan, Ezra, with the help of Hu Yang, assembles a new lightsaber. Sabine mentions Kanan Jarrus was Ezra's master. Hu Yang, who taught Jarrus to build a lightsaber, gives Bridger a spare emitter Kanan once used. Hu Yang shares insights about Sabine's training after the Great Purge of Mandalore, leading her and Ahsoka to part ways. Exiting the Jedi shuttle, Sabine finds Ahsoka meditating on the hull where they discuss the past choices made, and Sabine apologizes for not destroying the star map, and Ahsoka forgives her. My first thought upon seeing the Ezra Bridger building his lightsaber scene was, oh, okay, so his ally is the Force, but, you know, a light 
lightsaber's still nice. I mean, if you've got the guy who makes all the lightsabers for kids on your ship and who you're then gonna ignore. <laughs> it's like, hmm, I wonder if we should just go ahead and build a lightsaber anyway. Well, here's my question about this scene. And it's not that Ezra just completely ignores Hu Yang for most of it, uh, with regards to building the lightsaber, and it's not that Ezra just said in the last episode he didn't need a lightsaber. Where did he get the kyber crystal for this? I was just about to say the same thing. Aha! Aha! I have done it. I have done it. Weeks and weeks and weeks of you sniping my notes out from under me. I have sniped something out from under you. Ha! Because it's like, why? How? What? Like, you did not, you can't just, uh, it's not like Ahsoka has a spare one. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I know Hu Yang don't have crystals just lying about the ship. Like, that's not a thing. Like, so I don't understand. where did it No come? idea where he got this Kyber crystal to build like this. That. Absolutely no idea. Breaks cannon, fire Kathleen Kennedy. I just, you know. <laughs> exactly. I... <laughs> this is, the, this is what happens. This is what happens. This uh, is, Disney this comes is, in and completely uh, ignores how, no, I'm sure there's some visual guide or something is going to explain this it's a minor thing but that was my thought it's like where did he get this kyber crystal from they're gonna have some bullshit story where it's like he found it on the planet and he's been holding on to it for years just in case there's something like i don't know it's very uh shit i was about to say for light and dice spoiler if you know you know okay there you go i was gonna say well maybe uh what happens to kanan's like it just blows up right like there's it no, just like, blows up they don't yeah like he doesn't somehow get a piece of the kyber crystal from it i don't think so like, Okay. Well, I, I would that... I would have to I would have to go back and rewatch Rebel season 4. Yeah, watch, watch him like actually have like his Kyber crystal like in his pocket or something. My like, list oh. of my list of stuff I have to watch is too long, Bradley. I'm still I working literally my just way watched it and I didn't adventures. see anything like that. So I feel like nah, that's not a thing. But I feel like that's the only explanation. <laughs> I'm very excited for us to begin our coverage of Young Jedi Adventures, where we will dive <laughs> deep into yeah. this show. <laughs> We're never doing Young Jedi Adventures. Um, it's fucking phenomenal. We're just never covering it. Kanan Jarrus gets a name drop, which is cool. Another name drop. Another name drop. Uh, but they're also kind of bringing him up as a sort of parallel, him and Ezra as a parallel to Sabine and Ahsoka. Right. Sort of to highlight where they're the same, but also different. So I thought it was a good use. It was a good use of your name drop. If if you're gonna do a name drop this is how you do it yeah because i think the only so far we've only had it twice and one was to explain you know uh jason's lineage like where like why he's force sensitive or whatever and then the other one was to be like hey this is why you and ahsoka are so different than ezra and his old master yep so it's when they come up they have a purpose Right. Like, that is one thing the show is doing really, really well, is when it's name dropping something, it it name drops it for a reason. It doesn't drop these random things. Like, when, when Ezra mentions that Sabine trained before, like she had trained with a lightsaber before, with the darksaber before, that was for a purpose. That was to highlight her previous training. Like, these things right. don't come out of nowhere. When we mention Sabine's family, we're mentioning them in the context of why Sabine is the way she is. We're not just getting random mentions of sabine's family to basically explain where they are right because well, if you had not watched rebels or anything previous to this like yeah it's it doesn't like you'd be like 
how the fuck does she know how to use a lightsaber so well? Like, how does she know did it like all this stuff? And it's like, well, there's history there. She's not just born when the show starts. Like, so <laughs> here's my hot. Here's my 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 uh, thoughts on something that um, my thoughts on this are a little controversial, but I am going to state them. I know a lot of people get upset when X show doesn't mention Y character. And there are points where it's confusing why X show doesn't mention Y character. But 90% of the time, mentioning that character wouldn't add anything to the characters of the story that we have on screen. That it would just be in there to reference another thing. And if you have not watched X movie or you've not read Y book, then you're not going to know who these people are. It's going to turn you off as an audience member. It's going to confuse you as an audience member. Rather than make you want to go seek out other stories in the universe, it's going to have the opposite effect. It's going to make you close off because this universe is now inaccessible to you. So there's a balancing line you have to walk. When you bring it up, you have to bring it up for a good reason. Like there were moments in Mando season three where I felt like they could have brought Satine Kreese up and it would have worked really well. And they opted not to do it for some reason. But there's other times where people are like, well, why didn't you mention this? Well, it, it would have been confusing to your average audience member is why. Yeah. So I really like how this show is deploying its its callbacks with regards to the characters. I, I like that a lot. Yeah, because we'd be really annoyed if Ahsoka, like every three minutes, was like, remember that time that I saved J uh, Jabba the Hutt's kid? <laughs> like, no one exactly. wants to Like, no. Exactly. We can't do that every five lines. Yeah, we can't do that every five minutes. Like, it, it gets to the point where it's like, because for some people, Ahsoka is their first experience with these characters. Sure. So they're trying to give us just enough that we know who these characters are and what their history is. But it's not trying to, like, dump the entire plots of Rebels seasons one through four on us. Right. And Rebels nice is there. About... It's on Disney Plus. You can watch it. Right. And what's nice about what, the way they do it in this is, like, for example, with Sabine's family, like, just mentioning her family is enough to be like, oh, she had a family. And for the people who are just watching Ahsoka, it's like, oh, she had a family and they're dead. For and that's people who... why she's acting the way she's acting. And Hu Yang right. explicitly says in this scene, he turns to the audience and finally explains eight episodes in, which is kind of a structural problem. But he turns to the audience and basically explains why Sabine's family dying was important to her character. Right. And then if you happen to have watched Rebels and you happen to have seen all of the episodes with her family in it, you know the strained, you know, relationship she had beforehand and then them kind of coming together towards the end and then being like, oh, shit, they actually had a decent relationship by the time like Rebels ended. And then now they're all fucking dead. That's and then you feel fucking her. violent like right. I felt when I found <laughs> out that Ursa and Tristan Wren were dead. I mean, and also the other one, I can't remember body. her dad's name. We haven't seen the bodies, so as far as we <sighs> <laughs> I, I, I love Tristan could be alive. I also think if anyone's going to be alive, it's going to be Tristan. They're going to do one character. It'll be her brother. It'll I be Tristan like. Wren. Yep. I love the scene between Ahsoka and Sabine, having now watched the entire show and analyzed it in the depth we've got it. Like they open it up and they're sort of feeling each other out. You can kind of tell that lack of trust is still sort of hanging over them, but it's ebbing away. And they finally have this conversation where they open up to each other. Like when Sabine says, I'm sorry, and Ahsoka says, I know. And I'm like, I understand what they were going for with that now. <laughs> I get it. I yeah. get it. Because 
What's really interesting too, and I didn't even notice this the first time, this may be the first time Ahsoka has talked to Sabine about Anakin. Because she, she talks about Anakin, and the whole point is, I'm going to try to be like Anakin when he taught me and how he stood by me. I'm going to try to emulate that. She's vocally expressing she's going to try to pass on what she learned from her master which comes all the way around from the beginning of the show when she wouldn't even talk about Anakin. Right. Love it. I also love, she says, he always stood by me even when no one else did. And I'm like, yeah, I know what this is in reference to. Yeah, even when no one else believed you, uh, that you weren't a liar and they all turned their backs on you and they were going to you And they tossed you, you out jail. of the Jedi Order <laughs> so you could face a military tribunal from fucking Tarkin of all from people. Tarkin, oh my god. And I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> the Jedi, Jedi Council, Jedi Council, meet me in the Denny's parking lot. Well, I just want to talk. <laughs> I just want to talk. <laughs> I also love the interaction they have where Ahsoka's like, being a Jedi isn't about wielding a lightsaber. Like, she gets in this whole thing about being how being a Jedi is a philosophy and about how you need to trust in the Force, and it's not just about the lightsaber. Coming off the back of reading some other material that I'm not going to bag on because I know people like it, and I'm like, hmm, I think some of the previous writers writing Star Wars stuff may not have realized that this is kind of the point. Just saying, just saying. Uh, I I take issue with some books that came before, but we're not going to get into that. I love this scene. I love this explanation, this lesson of what being a Jedi is. That it's it's about discipline, it's about mindset, it's about the philosophy. The lightsaber is just a nice bonus, but you don't even really need one. I guess unless you're Ezra. I, I don't know. Unless you're Ezra, and then apparently you need a lightsaber. Apparently <laughs> right. you've decided you need one. All of a sudden. Okay. With a sure. crystal that you got from nowhere. With the crystal that you magicked up <laughs> out of fucking nowhere. Section three. Suddenly, Ahsoka's ship is attacked by two TIE fighters. Ezra and Ahsoka use the force to hold back the ship, allowing the Nodi to evacuate below. Sabine manages to take out the TIE fighters, but the ship crashes anyways. Meanwhile, at the fortress, Enoch informs Thrawn of the TIE attack, and despite losing them, Thrawn deems it an acceptable outcome and has him prepare for a ground assault. Yeah, I'm skipping ahead to Thrawn because the the TIE fighter thing is cool, but otherwise nothing really happens. Yeah, it's, it's, it was really quick. I just had to throw it in there. You gotta remember, looking at that broad scene and then transitioning to the Thrawn, thing, Thrawn scene, you have to remember the whole point of what Thrawn is doing is he's just trying to delay them. Right. If he can get away from the planet with the Eye of Scion and get into hyperspace, he wins. He doesn't have to beat them. All he has to do is slow them down, which is why he just sends two TIE fighters. He keeps doing this throughout either, I mean, really the whole entire latter half of the season is where he's like, just send a few troops, just send two TIE fighters, just send a few of the troopers to attack, like whatever. Like he doesn't want to waste his resources, which makes a lot of sense. However, my only thing is that there's only three of them and you're sending <laughs> like They're nothing. all Jedi. Right. Also, Hu like, Yang is also there. Sure. There's four of them, but three of them are Jedi. Right. And you're thinking- One of those three is a Mandalorian. Right. Let's just only send two TIE fighters. Let's just send six- troopers to go attack them like what i does I, I get what he's saying but i also i'm like thrawn you know who you're well, going you, after you have to remember that they're doing other stuff like there's True. multiple shots of the crates being loaded that's, that's why they're taking so long so any troopers that he sends out to potentially die fighting the jedi 
are going to be troopers that he then does not have and may never have to quickly load the ship. Right. So it makes sense for him to send only just what he needs to slow them down. He doesn't want to waste his resources. He wants to keep everybody on the ship. So when it's time for the Eye of Scion to carry them up and out, he doesn't need to wait. Everybody he needs to is on board the ship. And as they get closer to, like, it's explicit that anybody who stays behind in the fortress, and he makes clear, anybody who stays behind in the fortress is going to be left behind. We're not coming back for you. And they're so close that you won't have time to retreat onto the, the Chimera. So it does, it does make sense. It is tactical. It is more tactics than any other Imperial we've seen. Right. Except maybe Tarkin. Anyway, we get a scene where Thrawn explains his evil plan to Enoch. Because <laughs> now he's graduated from explaining his evil plan to Morgan to explaining his evil plan to Enoch. He has a fantastic line, and I'm like, oh, I know you talked to Timothy Zahn before you wrote this. Because Theron is talking a little bit about his motivation. He talks about the security of the galaxy. Because you have to remember, Thrawn's whole deal is security. Specifically security for the Chiss Ascendancy. But the way to do that is to make sure that there's a strong empire in the main galaxy where the story takes place. So when he says security of the galaxy, he really means the Ascendancy. But I really love right. that line. Yeah, because I have a weird thing that I guess I'll bring up here since this is a slightly lighter section. I, I thought about when he's like, I got to get back to the main galaxy. But Morgan theoretically has told him that Palpatine's dead, right? Yeah, he knows. So, okay, he he's knows going Palpatine's back. Dead. So he's going back. But now it's like, is he going back because he's like, ah, oh, for the Empire? Or is he going back because he's like, oh, nothing's stopping me from going back to the Ascendancy now. Like, I can literally go help the fucking Ascendancy and go do Ascendancy shit. So Timothy Zahn has said that he likes to think that what's going on is that Thrawn sees the New Republic as too weak to defend against threats and that it needs to be replaced by the Empire again because the Empire is stronger. You have to remember, Thrawn is a fascist. Like, he's everybody's, like, little boy that they love, but he is a fascist who genuinely believes in security above all else. And so when he talks about the Empire and the Empire and the Empire, he's just reinforcing that idea. I don't think he believes it as much as he says. Right. And even in Rebels and in Thrawn Treason and some of the other ones, it's it when he's around the Empire, he's pretty pro-Empire. Uh, he's constantly talking about the Empire. Because I know a lot of people were mad about how many times he brought up the Empire in this episode. And I'm like, guys, he's just saying that because that's his immediate factional group that he's working with. Right. I also find it really interesting. There's an offhand line about how Thrawn was the one who woke up the Great Mothers. Oh, that's right. Sabine says that, right? Or no. Who says Enoch that? says that. I'm oh, sure. Enoch says that? I think Enoch says it. Okay. Enoch says it, I think. No. Oh, Ezra says it. Yes, Ezra does. Sorry, I don't know why, why that was so hard for us to figure out. I just think that's a really interesting line that Ezra says where he's like, he woke the witches up. Okay, are are the witches in the box sleeping then? Are they dead? I... Are they in Uthanera? Like, that's a Dragon Age joke. Uh, what's going on here? This I'm confused. This is why we need a book or a comic series <laughs> someone please explain what the fuck what is happened. going on in this like, show i need it i need the book to start the second ezra and the ship show up at peridia like with the whales like i need all that like that's where the book start like and then 10 years jump through like what they had to do like 
Ezra running from Thrawn the whole time. What I mean, whatever the fuck you want to do, I don't care. Just do something. Like I need some kind of story because, like, why? Yeah, how did Thrawn find the mothers and the Night Sister Cavern or whatever, and be like, how do I wake them up? Do I just touch them or do I say like, hey, wake up, guys? Like you know, like you know, or does he have to do something weird to like wake them up? Like I don't know. Yeah, these are all things that are multiple years away from us getting some sort of fucking explanation about what's going on here. Section 4. While the ship is being repaired by Huyang and the Noti, Ahsoka, Sabine, and Ezra ride on the Howlers and head towards the fortress. Morgan gathers volunteer night troopers for the upcoming ground assault on the Chimera, and Thrawn emphasizes what the volunteer's sacrifice would mean. The Eye of Scion begins docking, and as they approach the fortress, Thrawn orders the bombardment on the approaching target. But despite the Chimera's laser fire, Ahsoka and team use the Force powers to open the fortress gate and breach the Night Sister Fortress. So I only have a couple of notes for this section, because I think last section might have bled into this section a little bit. Thrawn mentions that there'll be no negotiating with the Apprentice of Anakin Skywalker. My notes say, and he's right. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's correctly identified. This is not a thing that's going to happen. I find it interesting that Ahsoka's barking out commands in battle, just like in the Clone Wars. She hasn't really lost her, uh, her, her commander touch. She has not. What I thought that was an interesting, interesting thing that she's barking them out and everybody's following them like she's a commander again. Anyway, they, they, it's a cool scene. They managed to breach the, th- the gates and Thrawn has this look on his face. Like we, we have a shot where we spend a lot of time with Thrawn and he's got this look on his face where he's briefly like disgusted again. And then he like composes himself. Like he has to bring himself back. It's all wordless. It's all through Lars's performance. And then he's like, okay, we're going to do other stuff. I love that. I love that. So Lars really was the right choice to play this character. Like we said last time, it's just like, I don't think anybody else could have done it. I really don't. It's going to be so weird to go back and play like Empire at War, Forces of Corruption again. And like other things where Thrawn turns up in Legends and he's not being played by Lars Mikkelsen. It's going to be so weird. Or if they ever randomly decide to do like some kind of just Thrawn-centered series where it's like him younger. Like it's going to be a weird like, who is You just want this Imperial Academy show. I'm telling you. You just want... Your fucking military boarding school show at the Imperial Academy. It's going to be in the vein of Andor. It'll be very, like, good. Like, it'll be dark. It'll be great. (sighs) I've read two books recently, I want to say, that's set in the Sith Academy. uh, Or that are set on Sith Academies. Hot take, I've never enjoyed. I didn't enjoy either of them very much. Mostly for unrelated reasons, but those are the only things I read recently that vaguely fit. I would assume this show would be much better and also would not end with them all getting killed by zombies. No, uh, they're all going to survive because they have to grow up and do bad things later on. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of zombies, do you want to take us into the next section, Bradley? God, fuck me. Okay, let's do this section. Okay, section five. In the command center, Thrawn deploys the night troopers and the heroes begin their fight and kill them all. But the great mothers use magic to reanimate all the fallen soldiers and turn them into zombies. The trio battles the undead night troopers, but despite their efforts, the troopers keep advancing, causing them to run up the stairs to escape, sealing the blast doors as they go. Thrawn asks Morgan for a little more time so he can depart. She exits the hangar to confront the trio, and Ahsoka has Sabine and Ezra move on to stop Thrawn. 
and she begins her fight with Morgan. At the top of the fortress, Ezra and Sabine encounter death troopers and begin their fight. Meanwhile, Thrawn and the Great Mothers reach the Eye of Scions bridge, setting their course for departure. So I I don't like the fight choreography when they're first inside the thing and they're deflecting the lasers. It seems like, I remember somebody made the point, and I, I can't remember who, but somebody made the point that this is one of those scenes that would have looked really cool in animation. But because they're real actors trying to move the lightsabers around in real space, it just looks awkward. Yeah, and I think it's because this show should have been animated. Beginning. I, I agree. <laughs> not in trust and it's not that rosario dawson isn't doing a good job like i think you know the choreography that they're doing is like what they can do in real life like that's what right. real people can do and i think the problem is unless you wanted some cgi fuck fest where ahsoka is just being like do 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 you know then like it's gonna look fucking stupid so it's kind of hard to dog it too much but i i agree with you that it's a little slow if it's also what... hard to do with two lightsabers right like because if you look at the way Ezra's holding his or you look at how the Jedi use them in the prequels to deflect laser bolt it's very quick it's very precise it's it's the, like these movements that they're doing are very like boom 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 if you look at Ahsoka she's having to like she's having to move both hands independently of each other right and it's also slower because she doesn't have the power of both hands behind her so it's just particularly Ahsoka I I really don't like the choreography in this scene for how yeah, and, yeah, how she's right. deflecting these blaster bolts yeah it's just two is too hard it's just like you can at least fake it a little bit better when you have the one because then it's like you only have to block the one shot at a time you don't have to do anything else like she has to block more than one shot at more than one time <laughs> so it's right. like awkward which in universe she's able to do it's just the sure. limitations of real space right cause problems speaking of problems uh the night troopers are on the ground and then they rise up from the ground to reattack <sighs> so this is where we can confirm that they were alive before they were alive before. They were real people. Then they were brutally murdered by Ahsoka and our heroes. And then they were suddenly well, arguably <laughs> Now, arguably, they were fascists. So I, I, you maybe don't have to argue they were real people before, but they definitely were alive. And now they are not alive. Now they're and just they're still cool. fascists and they still suck. But again, I I, th I feel like this is one of those things where would it not have made more sense to just kill all the stormtroopers and then just be like only use magic to make them do stuff? Like I think because they they don't have their cog cognitive functions when they're the zombies. Right. They just because they're whatever. sort of shooting, but they're not doing a good job. Like most That's of true. them are shuffling forward. Uh, they're, they're very reminiscent. I want to get into Death Troopers here. I want to I want to talk about the last third of Death Troopers. I, fuck it. I'm just going to do it. I have to make this point. Spoilers for Death Troopers. If you haven't read it, skip ahead about 30 seconds if you haven't, because I'm about to spoil. In Death Troopers, eventually the zombies do learn how to fire weapons. And it is interesting. But the way that's handled in that book is really interesting and makes sense. Here, I'm like, the zombies using the weapons, I, I don't get it. I don't understand. <laughs> right. Uh, and here's the thing, like, I love zombies. Fucking love zombies so much. Huge George Romero fan. Night of the Living Dead, the remake, the 1990 remake by Tom Savini, one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Uh, and these zombies are even just straight up groaning. They are making the zombie noise, and I'm like... <sighs> 
I I don't know. I still don't know how I feel about this. You just wanted them to say brain. I actually hate it when zombies say brains. Because <laughs> it's the only word they know. I hate it when zombies say brains and want brains specifically. Right, because it's stupid. Because but... it's stupid. What's not stupid is the, the interaction between Ahsoka, Sabine, and Ezra. Uh, the she's been training. Yeah, what's your excuse? Yeah, right. <laughs> I missed you interaction. I love that. I just love that they're all just like, they're being faced with something, one, that they've never dealt with before, which is literal undead people. And they're just kind of like going with the flow. They're just like, you know what? Shit. Like, we have to do this right now, otherwise we're gonna fucking die. <laughs> they haven't fought zombies, but Sabine and Ezra have fought the undead before. They fought the Night Sister magic before, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. I don't so... think it was specifically zombies. I don't no, remember. No, I think they were just Night Sister. They were like possessed. Something. Oh, that's right. It was Sabine and Kanan were... Sub uh, they were possessed by the Night Sister magic or something to yep. fight Ezra and or maybe just Ezra. I Somebody think. else. I don't remember. I can't remember. See, we're not very good Star Wars podcasters. We're, we're not. Look, it's been a while since I watched. been about four years, three, three or four years since I watched Rebels. It's been a few months since I it's watched it. It's been a few it. months for you. And I, so, you know well, Rebels better than I do. You know what? Maybe had we had covered this right after I'd finished Rebels, I might have been able to bring that up faster and been like, well, um, actually, they have fought uh, Night Sister Magic before because in episode... You know, so I'm not a you know a super nerd like that, but I, I just <laughs> I am. I just love I I love that they they have some. You're right, they do have some kind of experience with undead, but it's not like well or night sister magic at least not undead undead, but. I don't know. It's very, it's complicated. So let's, let's jump up to the scene between Thrawn and Morgan, which is really the scene where I felt the most let down by her lack of a character arc. Right. Because this really should have, she is essentially told, you need to go die. And while her face goes on a little bit of a journey, she doesn't. There was never any doubt she was going to do this. Right. At all. And she doesn't, like, protest. She doesn't go, like, oh, like, and it's not that she believes that she can win either. Like, it's weird. It's like a, I know what I have to do kind of thing. Like, I'm the pawn. Like, you need to sacrifice your pawn or something. Like, well, it's not even a pawn. It's like she's, You like, sacrifice your bishop. Yeah, something. Which like, is a very powerful piece. You do right. not want to sacrifice your bishop unless you absolutely have to. But they're sacrificing the bishop here. Here's right. how I don't normally like to indulge in here's how I would have done this differently because I don't know if that's constructive. But in this case, I'm going to make an exception. Here's how I would have done this scene a little bit differently. I would have had her say no to the Empire stuff. I would have had her be like, that is a line too far. I don't actually care about the Empire that much. I'm here because the Great Mothers wanted me to. No, I'm not doing this. And have one of the Great Mothers say, do it for Dathomir. Right. Do it for I resurrected Dathomir. And then that redirects Morgan into a more direct faith that she now has a more direct sacrifice she's making because she says for Dathomir under her breath right. kind of implying that she's not doing it for the Empire she's doing it for Dathomir but it's not really as strong of a moment I felt like that's how personally I would have done this scene a little bit differently or I would have edited it rather I cannot explicitly promise this is how I would have done the scene but that's the note I would have given if I had read this scene right it needs to be more explicit that she's not doing 
doing it for Thrawn. She's doing right. it for her undead sister. So I would have, her. I would have had her reject the false faith that she's been putting on the entire thing and do it for her actual faith, which is her faith in the death of Mary. Yeah, I would have had her literally told, like, if Thrawn had been, like, for the Empire, she should have been, like, no, for Dathomir or whatever. And then, like, turned it. Or, like, like directly to his face. Yeah, to his face, just right. muttering it to herself under her breath. Exactly. Not, because she's not disobeying him, but she's showing him, like, no, I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for me. Even though you're telling me to do it, I'm doing this because I know what I have. Right. I'm doing this for, for Dathomir to be reborn. Right. Like, because Morgan sacrificing herself so that Dathomir can be reborn is a much stronger ending for the character than Morgan sacrifices herself so Thrawn can escape. Right. Uh, which, again, it's sort of there. She says for Dathomir. Like, she does say it. It's just not as strong as I felt like it should have been in the show. The fight between Morgan and Ahsoka fucking rules. This fight is so good. Now, this is good choreography. This is fucking amazing. Because they, they let they let Diana excel here. Like, because this is where she excels in fight choreography. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, why didn't we have this before? That's why they gave her this sword. Right. Because <laughs> it's a sword she clearly knows how to use. I love it. I love the fight between Morgan and Ahsoka. It's it's just fun. It harkens back to the prequel prequel era lightsaber duels that are fun. And I've had issue. I've said before that the best lightsaber duels are ones with emotion. And yeah, this one doesn't have as much emotion as, you know, maybe some of the other ones that I really like. But it's really fun. And it's also like, what I like about it is it's a clear and obvious, like, contest of physical skill and knowledge. As opposed to some other lightsaber duels I've seen, particularly from video games and stuff, that are just kind of over the top. And it's like, no, this one's very visceral. Two martial masters coming together, fighting each other, which is very cool to watch. Just generally, because I think there's almost minimal use of the force in this fight. A lot of it is just their martial prowess. Right. Yeah, because I don't know if it's not Ahsoka would see it as cheating, but it's like she doesn't like she wouldn't use force tactics, I guess, on a non force user. I guess that's kind of like Morgan is a force user, but like not in the same way. Right. It's not like as like you said, visceral. It's more of a yeah, I can't explain it. It's just like she wouldn't use the same fighting abilities against Morgan that she would use against like another Jedi or or Bale. Right. She she wouldn't need to. And this fight is really Morgan's also too close. Morgan's also too fast. Ahsoka doesn't really have a chance. It's really interesting. It's a really interesting fight. We're not a fight choreography podcast, but it's a really interesting fight. My final note for this section is ha ha death troopers. I was going to say not to confuse what you've been talking about this whole time, which is the legends novel death troopers, which is no, is not the same thing as actual. (sighs) They pull out actual fucking death troopers and make them (laughs) zombies for no other reason than fuck me. I guess they really were messing with (laughs) this. This show feels like a direct attack on me personally. They said, let's make death troopers actual legends death troopers like that's great it's (laughs) and they look cool when they're all black they're like i don't know yeah yeah yes dave the reference is very funny yes dave it's the reference is very clever Everybody, if you like horror, go read Death Troopers. It's really good. Section six. Sabine struggles with the undead Death Trooper and uses the force to get her lightsaber, ultimately skewering its head. Despite being unable to reach the Chimera in time, Sabine proposes a plan to push Ezra onto the Star Destroyer using her force power. Ezra runs and force jumps as far as he can, and Sabine force pushes him the rest of the way onto the ship. As Sabine is about to join him, she notices Ahsoka under attack from undead Night Troopers, and Ahsoka continues to fight 
fight Morgan at the Fortress Peak, where Elspeth damages one of her lightsabers. Despite Elspeth gaining the upper hand, Sabine intervenes, allowing Ahsoka to defeat Morgan and killing her. Thrawn learns of Morgan's death and bombs the fortress. Huyang shows up and allowing Ahsoka and Sabine to escape. They pursue the Chimera and Thrawn calls them to acknowledge Ahsoka as a worthy opponent before he jumps to hyperspace. That is a long ass section. I had to. It was like the important stuff was Sabine using the force and then it was like, well, also we have to kill Morgan. Also, Thrawn just kind of fucks off and then it's like I can't really not include that because if I didn't include that, then it would be included in the, well, here's the wrap up of everything and that's just, you know, that doesn't count. Peek behind the curtain, guys. It is actually pretty hard to structure these episodes sometimes. <laughs> like, trying to break everything down. Because the show is I'm not... almost jealous. I'm almost jealous. Right. So, over on J-Guys and Jedi, Hope always breaks things down into Act 1, Act 2, Act 3 when it's oh, a wow. live-action show. Yeah. It is always Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. Always that. I envy her ability to do that. How did she do that? Because I... Uh, 10 years of experience. I'm like, I'm not that good at... Like, I can do it kind of by section, but I just do it more like location-based as much as I can. I'm like, well, this scene is taking place kind of all on the same planet, and then it kind of jumps to the next scene. So I'm like, then like, then that's probably the next section kind of thing. Next time we have her on, we will have to ask, because that's how she structures it. I'm going to be like, can you just do this for me? And then I'll (laughs) I'll do it. I'll take credit. Act one. Uh, yeah, so Sabine does use the force, which, you know, everybody saw coming, but it's still a cool moment. Yeah, because like we said before, it was her sensing Ahsoka in the last episode or so where like, oh, maybe she does have force powers. In the beginning of this one where they she Ahsoka told them to use the force to keep the door open. I didn't feel like she was actually doing anything there. Like she was trying to help, but I don't think she was succeeding in helping them open the door. I think what's what's the difference between these three separate moments is in the first two, Sabine is not actively doing anything. Right. In the Ahsoka Force call, she's receiving the call. When she's helping Ezra, she's just augmenting what Ezra is doing. She's just reaching out to help him. Right. This one, she's entirely... Because Sabina's had trust issues this entire time. And in this moment, she is finally learning to trust in the Force. That the Force is there, that she can call upon it, that if she needs it, it's going to help her. And she does trust in the Force, she does trust in herself, and she calls the lightsaber to her for the first time. And she needed to because a giant fucking zombie person was trying to chew her face off. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, and then she has a line when when she's proposing her plan to Ezra. He's like, I mean, we we don't have time for ridiculous plans. He's like, no, I can do this. It's not, I think I can do this. It's not, we have to try. It's, I can do this. I can do this. I'm... I'm doing this because that's the way the force works. Essentially, you can't try to use it. You have to commit. And she wasn't committing. And now she can, she knows how to commit to it. Cause once you do it once, it becomes a lot easier. And Ezra is trusting her enough. And he's like, okay, like I, I believe you. And then he just jumps off the side of a cliff to show his trust, I guess. And then it works. One of Ahsoka's lightsabers is destroyed. Which is unfortunate. I don't Which, know whether we'll see it yeah, I don't repaired know what that's in mean season later on. two. Well, it's not like she goes up and like runs over and grabs it. Like, you know, or unless we didn't see her do that. At oh, least. yeah. No, it's it's in the fortress that got bombarded. Yeah. So unless they she randomly go the back and go look for it. But I don't think they're going to do that. 
She might be able to sense that kyber crystal, but it would be difficult to get to if it wasn't vaporized in the bombardment. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, I think it's I think it's lost forever. It's one of those things where it's like, no, she only has one lightsaber now. Or she might get a really interesting second one, or we'll see. We'll see what happens. Or turn her current one into a double-bladed one or something, or weird, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, I think double-bladed ones have to have two kyber crystals, though. Well, if Ezra can manufacture one out of nothing, then so can Ahsoka. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> She could go to wherever Ezra got his kyber crystal from. I guess my headcanon is just Huyang just happens to have extra ones, but I don't know if I like that. I dislike that in immensely. Because that's the only explanation. That's the that only explanation is that he has a handful of spare kyber crystals. Right. Because like the lightsaber is not going to be as powerful. It's not where right. it's not going to be as connected to the user. They can form that bond eventually. You know, Ahsoka didn't get her lightsabers from Ilum. She got them from an inquisitor. Right. And, and purified the crystals. Purified her crystals, right. Like Sabine got hers passed down to her from Ezra. So like we see lightsabers passing along. That's true. But yeah, time will tell if what the implications of this moment will be. Uh, and then Morgan dies, which is sad. But I like how she dies because not only does Ahsoka slice her with her own lightsaber, she uses her blade against her and slices her with the blade too because you can see the two cuts on Morgan's abdomen where it's the white line from her lightsaber and then it's the green line from the sword. Oh yeah, no, that's that really cool. That was so cool. sick. I was like, oh, The Visifex cool. team on this, with the exception of some green screening in this episode, I thought was a little bit off. The Visifex team on this show is incredible. They did a like, good job. Yeah. No notes. Fucking phenomenal job with the visual effects on this show. I do have to skip back a little bit before Morgan dies to when Sabine shows up. Uh, I just have the note, Sabine stayed with with Ahsoka this time. Yeah, because she had the I, chance to leave. She could have left with Ezra. She could have left with Ezra. She had the chance to leave. Like Ahsoka left her before the series started, and she right. chooses to stay with Ahsoka. And I also like to believe that had she left, Ahsoka would have died. It would have been like I know that Ahsoka can take care of herself, but because of all the troopers were surrounding her and Morgan was there, it was very distracting. Had she not gone back and distracted the troopers for Ahsoka, essentially, then Ahsoka would not have been able to turn the tide on Morgan, kill Morgan, and then survive. It would have just been like, oh, well, Morgan would have killed her. They would have gotten away, but Morgan would have killed her, and it would have just been the end of that. I agree wholeheartedly with that. I love the moment where Ezra picks up the Imperial calm and like is like, thanks for pretends the... Pretends to be the trooper. Pretends to be the Imperial. Such an Ezra Bridger moment. We knew that was going to happen. We yeah. knew that was going to happen. And he slowly pulls the body away because he's like, I'm going to definitely not change into this outfit in a second. <laughs> this is so Ezra Bridger. I love it. Uh, Thrawn likes bombardments, but the Great Mothers clearly do not. I they are clearly was... not happy about this. Yeah, I was like, whoa, he just kind of like straight up in front of them was like, yeah, let's destroy this very sacred temple to them. Like, just blow it up. <laughs> yeah, Thrawn, Thrawn has an interesting relationship with history. He views art with what he thinks is a respectful mindset. Right. Because he likes to collect it and things. But he's also not above just destroying ancient things ancient very clearly ancient sites that are sacred and like he'll like say probably like, a sacred temple <laughs> a to them but he's like, and they nah. don't say yeah they don't say anything but the the rift between thrawn and the night sister the great mothers is something that i think is going to come up later that he's clearly disgusted by their yep. their dark magics and they're clearly put off by his pragmatism 
it's it's sowing the seeds for something in season two that could be very interesting if they decide to go down that path because you're right it's like he's just towards the end at least he's definitely making more strikes against himself especially destroying this temple like they're they probably see that as like an affront to like just their culture in general 100 percent. they're like how could you do that like yeah we want to help you because you woke us back up kind of thing but it's like but at what cost like you destroyed one of the only temples that exists for our our culture especially on our home planet theoretically like our, right. our origin planet i guess you should say right we get this fairly infamous first meeting between ahsoka tano and grand admiral thrawn where she basically like is leaving him on read <laughs> and he's sitting there sit playing on all of her insecurities talking about how oh i knew anakin skywalker one wonders how similar the two of you will be like he's playing on all trying to play on all the stuff but she's not rising to that bait because you know she's been through a character arc she now that no longer really bothers her he calls her a ronin which is very interesting i think this may be the first time we've heard the word ronin in canon i think in relation so. yeah it was just, at least in relation to her at least or in just, relation to her but i think generally in general yeah we obviously like have him. the ronin the character from uh the first right. visions episode and then yeah, yeah, yeah. from the novel ronin which i think is still on my shelf somewhere but uh, yeah, this may be the first time we've actually heard it explicitly in canon refer to a Jedi without the order or somebody who's like that, like Ahsoka is. And then he fucks off into hyperspace. Bye. And I love the they did the same thing that they did in the previous couple episodes where they had the Eye of Scion jump into hyperspace and blow everything back. It was that same kind of trail that's like left over mm-hmm. like when they leave. It's just so pretty. I just love seeing that. It's also so powerful. Right. And it pushes it's taking the, you between uh, galaxies. Ugh, love it. Section 7. And finally, Ahsoka and Sabine return to the Nodi convoy. Ahsoka notices Morai the convoy in the distance. Elsewhere, Shin, riding towards the bandits of Peridia, ignites her lightsaber to draw their attention. Balin stands upon a statue of the father staring at the mountains where a flashing beacon of light in the distance is calling. In the main galaxy, Thrawn approaches the planet Dathomir. Meanwhile, at home, one, a shuttle lands in a hangar where Hera and a new Republic forces converge on the enemy ship. A night trooper emerges, revealing himself to be Ezra Bridger. Finally home. Back on Peridia, Sabine and Ahsoka spend a moment alone outside the Nodi camp, expressing disappointment over Thrawn's escape. And as they watch the night sky, Sabine senses something but dismisses it. And Ahsoka gazes into the night where the force ghost of Anakin Skywalker watches over them. The important thing about this scene is that the Howlers survived the destruction of the temple. And they don't explain how. And they I don't explain that. how. <laughs> we never explain it. Doesn't need explaining. The good the good dogs are uh, not destroyed by the temple. Oh, they got I know. I didn't bring this up before, but when Ahsoka was riding a howler and then Sabine and Ezra were riding a howler, where did this bonus howler come from? Because she stole it. She stole it from Balin. Oh, that's right. Okay. Okay. Thank God you explained that because I was like, yes. I thought for the longest time, I was like, where the fuck did this second howler come Sabine from? Sabine is riding her howler that was given to her. Ahsoka was Ahsoka's riding the, the one she took from Balin. Okay. That's where Ooh. she got a second. I thought we had, we would have to fire Kathleen for a second there. I was so. Nope confused okay nope dave filoni gets to continue to make star wars okay fine he did he explain another, this. he gets more chances he I gets guess. more chances 
<laughs> you know who else turns up in this scene? Okay, please explain. Morai this. the Convor? The Convor. I, I, you know, it's funny. I said I changed it just like a second ago. I had the owl in my notes and I was like, wait a minute. No, I need to change that because technically owls don't exist that we know of in Star Wars. So this is a different species. <laughs> yes, they do. The night owls. The night owls. Oh, that, that Bo- Bo-Katan's group are called that the night owls. That does not count. <laughs> owls exist, Bradley. There are owls in Star Wars. You're right. Mandalorian owls. Yeah, so Morai turns up, who has not been seen this entire series. But Morai is a female convoy. She is a very distinct pattern. She has been following Ahsoka around for several decades after the events of Mortis. She is a special convoy with a connection to the light side of the Force, and particularly the daughter, the the embodiment of which currently lives on in Ahsoka Tano. And so this convoy just follows her around. We haven't seen her the whole time. We have no idea what her appearance means in the context of this episode. It means something, but we don't know what. Right, not yet. Right? It, we don't know what that is yet. Friendly reminder, convors named after Ian Convery, Dave Filoni's wife. Ah, okay. My next note is, oh yeah, Shin is here. Oh yeah, that's right. Shin and Balin exist. Okay. <laughs> this episode remembered Shin and Balin exist. So I like that they showed Shin that she they didn't just not show her because that would have been really fuckery had they not shown her at all. However, I don't quite understand what they're showing us here other than her finding the the bandit She's finding tribe. the bandits. She's igniting her lightsaber presumably as a sign of dominance like she's going to take them over right that's what's going on we don't know anything else about this scene it's just odd like it's just an odd like why would she not just go find balin why is she going to find random i would love to have answers to this question unfortunately (laughs) this episode provided none of them (laughs) nothing nothing at all and i hated it uh speaking of things we don't have the fucking answer to so balin we get a shot of balin he's standing on the hand of a statue like this argonaut type statue and it's three of them we get a good look at them because he's standing it's the daughter the son and the father from the the mortis gods right the daughter's decapitated the father is pointing outwards and balin is looking in the direction of the ominous mountains that the father is pointing to i would love to know what the fuck is going on in this scene i would really love to know it because if you look at like he's pointing at the mountains and then you see the flashing light in the mountains and you're like please tell us what the fuck any of this means and what is this setting up and dave said no absolutely not (laughs) and this is before he quote unquote knew he had a second season so that makes me even more mad because if you look at this purely from a we one had season standpoint, no idea yeah no idea when this aired they didn't pull some loki shit where they were like right. tee season two or the bad batch right when the bad batch season one ended and they were like they like announced it that morning like the morning the final episode was going to air hey by the way we're getting a season two right nothing like that we had genuinely no idea uh, and admittedly, this is because probably because the strikes were going on at the time. Sure. But it's also but they, like... did, they were not <laughs> announcing season two. No idea what's going on. Right. And we're like, so presumably, like, there's so many questions. Like, how did these statues of the Mortis gods get in, built on a completely different galaxy? Did the Mortis gods come from Peridia? Did the Mortis gods stop somewhere else? Do the Mortis gods, because we know they exist outside of time, do they exist outside of space as well? Clearly, because we have the, the world between worlds that are somehow connected to the mortis gods what the fuck is he pointing at what the fuck is called 
calling Balin? I am so confused. I don't know. We will receive zero answers or in fact, even real clues as to what the fuck is going on. Love that. Thanks, Dave. Meanwhile, above Dathomir... <laughs> Well, that I'm not, I, I, at least with this. Okay, so Thrawn comes to Dathomir and he's like, we did it, guys, we made it. And then it's like, okay, we kind of know what's going to go on now. Shot, shot of the boxes, shot of tons of boxes in the cargo right. hold. Yeah. No idea what those boxes are. They're presumably dead Night Sisters, dead ancient Night Sisters, but we don't know. We don't know what the fuck is happening. They're just like, Thrawn is setting up his base of operations on Dathomir now. And I, okay. Yeah, it's like, okay, all right, like, let's let's do it, like, I guess. But now are you going to reanimate them? Are they just going to, like, live on your ship and just chill? Like, what's going on? Like, Watch season two and find out. Right, exactly. Three years from now. Three years from now, whenever season right. two comes out. And we will still probably be doing this podcast, knock on wood. Right. Uh, we're just going to keep doing this into the void because we have nothing else to do. We get... This scene, so the scene that the second to last scene of the show, we get this Jedi shuttle, the same shuttle, Balin shuttle, which was parked on the Chimera. We get Balin shuttle approaching home one and landing the exact way that a Jedi shuttle approached the Vesper at the start of the series and landed. Everybody turns up, they're pointing guns at it. A lone stormtrooper walks out. And yeah, of course, Chopper's the first one to recognize Ezra when he gets like, close to Ezra. He's like, this is suspicious. Well, no, he, he rolls up because, like, it's Chopper. He's going to be fine. Right. He rolls up and you can actually hear him ask Ezra, Ezra Bridger. Like, you can hear him ask that. And then Ezra takes the helmet off and I melt into a tiny little puddle at, at Hera's and Ezra's faces as they're reunited. I love it. Yeah, because it's essentially his mom. I mean, it's you know. his mom. It's yeah. she got her kid back. And right. now then he also has to tell her that Sabine got left behind on Peridia. But also like they know about <laughs> Peridia now. Right, right, right. Oh, yeah, I, I guess I never thought about like Ezra now has to download Hera and theoretically the entire New Republic about everything. What the fuck like, happened? Yeah. Thrawn is back. He made it back. I want to see stuff, the yeah. look. I want to see the look on Hamada Ziono's face when Ezra Bridger walks into the briefing room. I want to. I I want that to be the first episode of season two. But I also know that like that kind of stuff is gonna be stuff that just happens in between the seasons. Yeah, that it's, gonna they're see. gonna. T they're almost certainly gonna time yeah. jump. Yeah, it's, it's you have bit. to. I mean, it's just I don't see how else you could like do the show without doing a little bit of a time jump. But did yeah. you notice that when Ezra is walking across the screen and then it transitions to Ahsoka and Sabine on Peridia. Ezra and Sabine are basically in the same place making the same movement when it transitions over. Oh, I didn't notice that. Go back and watch it again. Uh, next time you watch it, Ezra is sort of on the screen and he's walking from right to left. And then it it transitions to Sabine and she's also walking across the screen. She's also walking right to left in basically the same spot on the screen, which I thought was neat. Yeah, that's cool. Ahsoka and Sabine have a final little conversation. Uh, Ahsoka has regained her faith. Uh, her faith in the Force and her faith in herself and her faith in Anakin uh, and her faith in Sabine. Uh, and Sabine has her trust back. She trusts in the Force. She trusts in Ahsoka. Uh, she trusts in herself. And that's the arc these characters have been on over the course of the show. The music remains the best thing in the show. Just one more shout out to Kevin Kiner because good lord. I'm just going to read my final note verbatim. Okay. Ahsoka doesn't see Anakin, but she knows he's there because he's always with her. I like that. Yeah, like, I know that she can sense him because she smiles, but like... She knows you, he's there. Right, you can tell she doesn't see him because the way she's, like, her eye, her eye line or whatever. Like, but you can tell she just kind of, like, looks away. She kind of smiles to herself, and then she turns around and she walks away. Like, she knows he's there. Yep, she knows that he's 
always with her yeah in her in her teachings that were passed down from Anakin to Ahsoka now Ahsoka to Sabine in the training in the values that he tried to instill in her and yeah the parts of parts of him that were not great but those are parts that you know she's learned to reconcile with and that's it's it there's no post-credit scene that's the end of the show yeah this i mean to be fair this whole kind of last section felt like the post-credit scene if you think about it i mean but no actually what i think they probably should have done is the maybe the the balin thing could have been a post-credit scene at least that part because that seems to be setting up something else versus the like all the end stuff with uh, ezra and thrawn because that's very clearly season two stuff like that's right. like, okay we know what's going to go on there the balin stuff is the stuff that we have really no clue what's actually happening or what seems to be the plot really other we than... got bits of his motive like we got bits of his yeah. motivation but we don't really fully understand it yet i'll be interested to see where it goes um also some of you are going to get on me for being very hypocritical about that and i hear you and i accept the hypocritical nature of what i just said but if you know you know about characters who we get hints about their motivation but it's not explicitly spelled out yet because that's going to come later i hear you i get it but this is definitely a thing here that we get some clues as to we get a lot of good information about why Balin's doing what he's doing. We don't really get what he wants to accomplish. Right. That's what I think my question is going to be going into season two. What does Balin actually want to accomplish? Like what what is his goal here? Because it's clearly not to support the the Empire. Right. What does he want? All right. Well, that's 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 it, Bradley. We we did it. Would you like to know who directed this episode? Charlie? I would love to know who directed this episode and who wrote this episode, Bradley. The episode, along with the entire season, was written by Dave Filoni. And this episode Thank you, Bradley. was directed by Rick Famiwa, who's we, we we've talked about him before. Know who that he is. Has, uh, he is director and executive producer for The Mandalorian. So there you go. He's directed episodes in all three seasons but now he's the executive producer of the mandalorian so unclear what the status of season four of the mandalorian is but presumably he would be the executive producer of that as well if it happened to return for a fourth season exactly all righty so do you have any final thoughts on the episode bradley final thoughts on this episode were i i I think i agree with you with what you said earlier was that is very exciting I, i don't think that anything in this episode felt like oh we're dragging or there's like a moment like where there's too much dialogue or like we're like oh like what like get to the next scene i want to see the action sequences because really the whole entire thing was pretty much action i mean it was like bam 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 like they never really let up it was really good so i enjoyed it i also really liked it and i think in the context of us having a season two i think that that if it only has two seasons it's a really good act one ending for a two act story i agree that uh they've They've come a long way, but they're not quite to the end of the journey yet. Uh, I also now am just thinking about Thrawn defying gravity being the whole point of this episode. Listen, the Wicked trailer came out during the Super Bowl, and you knew I was going to shove it in at least some point in this episode. I mean, I guess if there had to be something about a witch uh, in this episode, guess what? The witch is not Morgan they're talking about. It's Thrawn flying away. <laughs> it's Thrawn flying away. Uh, tell them how Thrawn's defying gravity. Anyway, no, I I thought it was a really good act one. Now that we know that it's an act one, a really good act one that sets up a lot of interesting stuff that can happen in the second season going into the Heir to the Empire movie that is eventually coming. I like it. All right. So reminder as to our schedule, 
We are going to do our Ahsoka recap next week. That is where we just talk about the show that we just covered and see how our perspectives changed and talked about it overall. Uh, I know that Bad Batch is coming out. Yes, I also know that the Acolyte is coming out in the summer. I'm, I am aware that that wasn't that happened, that that was revealed. Our plan remains unchanged. We are going to be doing vision, the second half of Vision Season 1 that we did not cover during the SAG After Strike. So we will air our long-awaited Twins episode that we recorded. I actually have to go back and listen to it to see if there's anything I need to add. We will do the Twins episode, then we will finish out Vision Season 1. Then you will hear our Bad Batch Episode 0 that Bradley and I are going to record tomorrow. And then you, we will cover Bad Batch Season 3 and then The Acolyte. That is our tentative plan for the next couple of months. So definitely stick around. If you want to hear us talk about visions, we will get to the Bad Batch eventually. I promise we will all get to return to everyone's favorite segment, Whose Goddamn White Baby Is That? The segment where I watch the Bad Batch on my HDTV and tell you how white they look. But before we can do that, we have to do pluggables. Bradley, you have a variety of shows on Peacock and Bravo that people can watch. We only plug one at a time because you have so many. We are still plugging Married to Medicine Season 10, currently airing on Bravo. You can find me on For Light and Dice, a TTRPG Star Wars podcast set in the High Republic era, DM'd by Chris from Dark Side Divas, starring myself, Hope from J-Guys and Jedi, Jess from RuPaul's Podrace, Colton from Nerdsmith, who was mentioned earlier in this episode, and our friend Robin. I also have a series of gay thriller novels that are coming out on Amazon Kindle. They are called Beach House Studios. The Beach House is one H and one word. Uh, you can find that on Amazon Kindle. <sighs> that is a lot of that is a lot of, of pluggables. We're gonna have to like make a pluggable script at some point. I really yeah. am just gonna have to do that at this yeah. point. Jesus Lord. And it's gonna get longer when you finally finish reading the book because I know you, you're gonna yell at me on mic about the ending. Okay. I I, I just finished, I think, chapter five yesterday. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that's this is the true demon souls begin. Alrighty, well, join us next week for our Ahsoka recap and you run the socials of my own voice. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gold Squadron Gaze. Did Charles fuck something up? Email us at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com to let us know. You can also find us on Twitter at at goldsquadgaze, and you can find us on TikTok and Instagram at at goldsquadrongaze. You can also find us on YouTube at our Gold Squadron Gaze YouTube channel, where we post full episodes of this show. Finally, if you liked the show, don't forget to rate us and give us a review on your favorite podcast platform. That allows other people to find our show. As always, thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gaze, and we'll see you next week. Welcome to the show, Gold Squadron Gaze, the ASMR podcast where we only talk in whispers and we don't do anything else because it's really hard to talk in whispers the whole entire podcast. That'll be really annoying. I'm your host, Bradley Brower.